0: Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Paul McDivitt, Communications Specialist here at U of M Extension. Today on the podcast, we're talking about current growing season conditions around the state. We have four members of Extension's Nutrient Management team. Can you each give us a quick introduction?
1: Uh, This is Daniel Kaiser. I'm a Nutrient Management Specialist with U of M Extension. I main areas in fertilizer guidelines and I'm located out of the St. Paul campus.
2: Uh, Brad Carlson, I'm an extension educator. I work out of the regional office in Mankato, Uh, focus on water quality, which uh, has been largely involved with nitrogen the last few years, but also uh, uh, dabbling in other aspects of water quality and ag drainage a little bit too.
3: I'm Lindsay Pease, and I am the nutrient and water management specialist at the Northwest Research and Outreach Center in Crookston.
4: Greg Klinger, I'm an extension educator based in Southeast Minnesota and Rochester. Uh, I do a lot with nitrogen management and uh, it's good to see everyone's faces. It's been a while for for me to see anyone except for Brad here. So good to have a little face-to-face interaction again.
0: Definitely. Um, So starting off, can each of you just tell us a little bit about the field conditions thus far in your area and how the crops are doing?
4: Sure. This is, this is Greg. Um, So here in southeast Minnesota, I'd say the corn is by and large looking very good. And also, I'd say we've had some pretty good conditions for for making hay. Uh, Nice dry periods uh, at the right time. Um, So we uh, we came into the spring with just a ton of water in the ground from last fall. But we've been very fortunate that March and April were really quite um, they're pretty dry here to the point where we actually got a nice early planting window in mid, late April for corn. Um, I'd say majority of the corn went in the ground in uh, April. And, um, then I I did start to see it actually started to get probably a little too dry for planting conditions. So I saw some corn that was planted in that kind of early to mid may timeframe. That was, looked like it had some emergence issues or maybe less than ideal planting conditions. Um, we had a little bit of light frost, I think, about mid-May. That did wipe out or zapped some corn kind of on north-facing slopes and low-lying areas. But for the most part, we haven't had too much extreme weather issues. And um, I would say so. It was it was pretty, pretty dry early in the season, but the rain's really picked up kind of mid-May. And since then, it's been just kind of like Lindsay described earlier, just the pulses of uh when we were talking before we started the podcast that is. Um kind of pulses of pretty wet wet conditions for about three or four days where we get quite a bit of rain and then a week or two of dry and then gets back to wet and dry and so we're we're actually a little bit above average for rainfall for the year, but kind of pretty close to normal. Um I've noticed I would say probably I, I don't hesitate to put a number on it, but the vast majority of corn in this area is already tasseling. Um I started to see some corn tasseling probably about a week, 10 days ago, and now most of it is. Um, so I think between the heat we've had recently, we're a little ahead on growing degree days in this area of average, and between that heat and just early planting, good early planting conditions, I would expect, barring a curveball from Mother Nature, that we'll have a pretty uh, early harvest time here, and I think we'll have some pretty good yields.
2: I would say uh, moving uh, west from where Greg is at, uh, south-central Minnesota, we've talked about this uh, on previous podcasts, but uh, similar to what Greg reported, that uh, the planting conditions were good, or maybe we should just simply say normal, as opposed to the last few years that have been very wet. Um, It was uh, dry at planting time, Uh, I don't know if I want to say abnormally dry, but uh, we did see... A little bit of emergence issues, uneven emergence on account of uh, being dry. Uh, I know that one of the projects Dan and I are working on that field, uh, we could see uh, the corn was about two leaf stages off uh, from you know, one spot to another. Uh, and That was simply related to the uh, mo- soil moisture at the time of seed germination. Uh, Since then, South Central has really been getting timely rains. We've had a couple of points where we were starting to think it really was getting dry, and then we got some more. Um, There are spots that have received catastrophic amounts of rainfall, uh, small localized areas. There are some small localized areas where there was some hail damage. And over this past weekend, we actually had some wind damage, some downed corn. Uh, seem to uh, correspond with the corn that wasn't tasseled yet. I'm not exactly sure uh, why the uh, tasseled corn seemed to stand better than the non-tasseled. If there was some variety or or a hybrid uh, parentage issues there related to season length, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Some of that is coming back up Uh, as you go across southwest Minnesota I have been across the southwestern part of the state uh, in the last week or so things are also looking quite good uh, that Bermuda Triangle area down by uh, uh, Jackson, Fairmont, uh, Sherburn, uh, kind of from St. James forming the point at the top of that it was quite wet early again this year, uh, but that has since uh, more or less straightened out and I, they did pretty much get their crops planted. So uh, at this point, uh, you know, barring uh, any uh, strange catastrophic weather events, we're actually setting up for a very normal year.
3: Yeah, in the Northwest, what we've been seeing is um, kind of, you know, some dry, but but then two or three inch rainfalls. We can't seem to get a, you know, a just a half inch of rain. When it comes down, it is just raining cats and dogs. Um, and that's been, you know, pretty consistently happening, you know, for the last couple of months. I would say we did have a bit of a late start to our spring. We were really cold. Um, still through kind of March, April, um, and I think our planting in general, you know, those early season April crops, um, you know, your wheat and your beets were probably a little bit behind um, planting, Uh, but by the time it came for uh, soybeans to be planted in uh, sort of that kind of mid-May, then everybody was able to sort of get things wrapped up and, and finished up, so I didn't hear of people having kind of like like what's been mentioned, um, not too many issues getting planting done this year. Um, uh, but since then is really when we've been having, um, those really big rainfalls. And so how things are looking now, I would say they look really spotty, um, in the low, low areas, low lying areas, especially in the Valley floor, um, you know, washed out crops, um, you know, poor establishment. Um, but if you are kind of in some of more of our lighter textured soils on the beach ridge, uh, some of those areas are looking really, really nice right about now. So so it really um, it really just super depends on kind of where you're out on the landscape this year. So um, you know, some people are crops are looking good. Some are, are looking a little sad. Uh, but hopefully 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 we'll start to get the the weather cooperating a little bit better for us uh, for the rest of the summer.
1: Yeah, and as Brad said, uh, it's it's kind of interesting just going around and looking kind of what I've seen just doing some of the field work, some of the differences we've seen across the state. As uh, Brad said, uh, the field that we've been working with down in Southern Nicolette County, that field was looking pretty tough. Um, There, I know Brad sent me some pictures early on there. They were missing all the rains and that, well, it's kind of early on. One thing I noticed, it was kind of haves and have-nots with a lot of areas. You saw rain really going through some areas, hitting those areas consistently, and others not getting anything. Um, where I live, uh, kind of northwest of the Twin Cities metro, we've got a lot of dryland sand up here, so that stuff was looking pretty tough for a while. Now we've been starting to get a little bit moisture, things have looking looking a lot better. And um, as we're recording this, the week of uh, July 13th, I was out. Um, just made a trip up to some of our, one of our irrigated sites up at Becker and it's really good to see the corn tasseling at this point because it seemed like things were kind of lagging a little bit there for a while but things are have been looking really you know pretty well across the state so other than the areas you know it's it's interesting um when we start looking at some of the problems to when we start seeing uh, across the state um particularly in um you know, areas where had been dried th- or dr- started to dry out the spring, you know, a lot of growers got those areas planted, seeing some of the lakes come back. I mean, that was kind of the biggest thing I really saw this over the last few weeks is really with these rainfalls, I'm starting to see some of those drowned out areas start to come back, which is kind of tough thing to see, particularly since a lot of those growers, I think, were, were, when we started looking at it, it was kind of nice to be able to get back into some of those areas, but it had been a couple of years be- before everything had been so wet in those areas that they've been able to really get those spots planted, so... That's been the main thing. It's just been a lot of variability out there, but things look uh, pretty well um, just um, based on what I've seen across the state.
2: Yeah, the one area I guess we didn't talk a lot about, there has been some hail issues in central Minnesota. Um, that's not so much a soils issue, although there probably will be some ramifications, uh, management of those areas uh, going forward because some of the pictures I saw were pretty ca- catastrophic. It didn't look like there's going to have... Uh, much, if any, of a crop left in some of those places when all is said and done.
1: Yeah, and one thing, too, I was seeing a lot this spring was, um, you know, a lot of potassium deficiency, and it's kind of interesting with the dry conditions we had early on. That's one of the things that I guess I wasn't expecting as much. I figured we wouldn't see as much nitrogen deficiency, although I'd, I'd suspect there's some out there now with some of those really wet spots. Um, if there is any corn growing, you're going to see it pretty widespread but with the dry conditions you know going to a lot of my plots even areas where we get applied broadcast potassium we're kind of borderline in terms of availability the dry weather conditions tend to tend to exacerbate some of the issues particularly related to potassium uptake so I was just uh, looking at some fields um, over the last couple weeks and that's one of the things that uh, I had to look twice at the lower leaves because I thought it was nitrogen deficiency but Uh, seeing that looks like potassium deficiency. So I saw that in corn. Um, We're seeing some of that also, some stress-induced decay deficiency in beans. So the upper canopy, um, seeing a a lot of times you'll see this happen when soybeans get stressed. At times you'll see it occur on the upper canopy instead of the lower leaves where we typically expect potassium deficiency. And also looking at one of my alfalfa fields too that was borderline in uh, potassium, the area that we had blanket applied potassium looked really good um, the area outside of that looked pretty thin so it'll be interesting to see kind of how things grow out of that because I think the last few years we really haven't seen that and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's been a lot of water and with potassium we know that it takes water uh, particularly in the soil to move potassium to the roots so it's just kind of an interesting thing because there's a lot more k deficiency out there than, um, than I've seen in the last few years particularly with stuff that's just kind of on that marginal level for availability, because a lot of those weren't, sites weren't really showing the deficiency. Now that it's been dry, we've been seeing that uh, pretty um, clear, uh, particularly in the the early growth stages when we were dry before some of these rains came.
0: What questions have you been getting this year about nutrient management?
1: Well, you know, it, it's been interesting. The last few years, a lot of things have revolved around nitrogen management. Um, hasn't been quite as much of that this year. Um, it kind of be interesting to see. Um, how things go for people this year because I'm assuming just with the conditions we've had um, things would be a little bit better in terms of um, nitrogen loss. Uh, the main thing early on was nitrogen availability and looking at different products with side dress um, but it's been pretty quiet. Um, a lot of the questions currently I've been getting I think are growers thinking about the fall and next year so some of that um, kind of we've been revolving around um some of these uh, biologicals, I know there's, there's still a lot of those questions, um, particularly in the market, um, whether or not there's any advantage of those particular products, so that's out there, but um, other than that, it's been, been pretty quiet um, in terms of not seeing any consistent questions that come across the board. Um, I would suspect... We'll be seeing some late season N application. Um, I know Fabian Fernandez put out a, a blog post talking about that recently on the um, Minnesota Crop News. So that's something you might want to check out if that's that's something you're kind of looking at. But um, you know, it's been a been a little bit more quieter of year than we've had in in years past um, since we haven't had that rainfall where it's been extremely wet early on.
2: Yeah, I was getting a few questions uh, regarding. Rate uh, when it when it was side dress time, um, you know the extent to which folks are inclined to adjust their rate instead of just simply go with a base plan, uh, particularly based on some of the uh, ragged appearance of some of the corn early in the season. A lot of that was an artifact of how wet it was last year. Uh, I know you know Dan and you and Fabian uh, had an article and we all talked about it. Uh, early this year about how residual nitrates were really uh, very very low. We don't normally look at crediting residual nitrogen in the system yet the fact is that when you do a nitrogen rate trial the residual N is there and it just simply is background and so if it's absent it is a reason to think potentially there could need to be an adjustment upward of of nitrogen rates. Uh, That kind of coupled with uh, with uh, some of the, the yellow corn that was early in the season, uh, did, did, uh, I did get a few questions about that. You know, the one thing I would say, and I didn't really add this when I did my uh, kind of crop update, is that the conditions really have been ideal for mineralization and nitrogen. Um, we've been getting adequate uh, precipitation, the temperature has been good. So as long as the soil is moist and warm, uh, we're going to see a lot of release of nitrogen out of our high organic matter soils. And so from that standpoint, I guess we really don't, uh, uh, I don't expect to see a lot of uh, deficiency show up uh, um, through the rest of the summer unless it suddenly gets cold. And I think that is actually made up for any of these places where there might have been some, some landscape differences within a field.
1: Well, and that's one of the things too, I was just up at, again, up at our irrigated research site up at Becker and looking at, um, it's one of our, one of my trials where we're looking at uh, some of these biologicals and it's a nitrogen rate trial and you can really pick out the controls where there's no nitrogen. Uh, the stuff's probably about, you know, three foot tall right now, but anything else there looks fairly green for the most part, you can pick out some firing on maybe the first, the lower three leaves or so on the plant. But overall, it's it's not as I would expect. I just kind of just looked at an aerial view over it. Um, you can maybe pick out where we have. You can definitely see the zeros. Maybe that first increment of nitrogen, which is, um, I think uh, it's slightly less about. It's around seventy-five pounds, so I can pick that out, or seventy-five to hundred pounds. So I can pick that one out. But beyond that, things look pretty green in it. Wasika too, the same thing. I mean, you really can't pick a whole lot of difference out with some of our n-rate studies and uh, so we'll, we'll kind of see it's been a big difference the last few years um, with the amount of rain we've had you would have been able to at least pick out the first two three two three treatments we've had on a lot of these fields and um, really not a lot of difference there in terms of what we can see at this point so I, I think we're going to see some differences there but just visually um, you're really seeing that the growth isn't quite as limited by lack of nitrogen as it was in, in the last few years.
2: That, that's an interesting point, Dan, and actually uh, it, it reminds me of something else. I, as I did a uh, presentation here this past week that got recorded for the National Strip-Till Conference, uh, and I was looking at nitrogen advisory tools for that presentation, sort of reminded me of the, uh, the study that Jeff Vetch had at Waseca with cover crops a couple of years ago relative to the uh, one of the the, they did chlorophyll readings at about tasseling time and they found that the chlorophyll was equal among treatments but uh, come about the 7th of september just after labor day there was some very striking visual differences between nitrogen rates and the point that i want to make in that is that some of these these uh, sample based tissue based uh, image based Uh, sensing is really just a snapshot in time that doesn't really predict the future and so in a lot of cases uh, we won't see differences but they still might manifest themselves by the end of the year.
4: We saw a similar thing actually Brad down here uh, uh, on a site that Jeff was managing where it was same thing high chlorophyll no differences really between treatments at tassel time and then By harvest, it was pretty significant yield differences and a pretty high response to nitrogen. So I guess, you know, we've only seen that in one out of 16 trials or so. So it's a pretty small probability of something like that happening. But like you said, sometimes those snapshots in time, even late in the season, don't quite capture all of uh, all of what's going on in that field.
3: Yeah, and I guess, um, you know, and just to add on there, I think early on, a lot of guys were worried about timing and getting the nutrients on just because of the wet springs that we've had the past few years. But but really, um, that didn't end up being our limiting factor here. Um, and I'll just kind of just put out there that um, in a future issue of the Prairie Grains Magazine, they just asked me to write an article for them, just a short article about, um, you know, how some of those bigger rainfall events might be influencing nitrogen losses in our soils. So, um, so that will be coming out and i guess i would say that's the one question i've gotten so far is is really just how this kind of you know unique weather pattern we're having is is going to influence that nitrogen cycling so i think that's yeah other than that everything else similar to what what's been seen in other parts of the state
0: yeah so is there anything growers should be aware of when making nutrient management decisions for 2021 based on this year's dry growing conditions
2: well, again, I think it's it's worth discussing that that what, what the way our recommendations are made and what they're based on, uh, those kind of base conditions are always. Uh, the background and so if we feel like we need to adjust up or down it's, it should be kind of relative to whether those uh, conditions are different or the conditions are different than that so for instance when it comes to nitrogen and i just mentioned the fact that uh, typically there is some nitrogen carryover that we don't normally count for if we think that it's really low uh, going into the following year it might justify an adjustment upward um, you know, similarly, if it were to get really dry in parts of the state and the crop doesn't finish off, there could end up being uh, a lot of residual nitrogen that would cause you to want to, uh, to adjust your rates lower next year. Uh, we really won't know that until the end of the year. Uh, you can do a, a pre-plant soil nitrate test uh, to try and account for that if you have suspicion that you do have significant carryover nitrogen. Uh, our recommendations do allow for that in the fall uh, in Western Minnesota, but I think it's worth noting that uh, if you do that and then it gets uh, really wet in the spring, I would uh, have suspicion over whether it's still accurate or not, so uh, for best accuracy, you're going to want to try and get that soil uh, test done uh, early in the spring. Uh, again, if you think there's going to be some carryover. I, I think beyond that, uh, because in general, uh, we're seeing such relatively normal conditions. Uh, I don't think that there's anything else other than maybe in you know, small localities, like I mentioned, places that got hailed out uh, and so forth, that are going to have any real particular concerns.
1: Yeah, Brad, and I think you hit the nail on the head there with the um, the nitrate. If we start looking at residual nitrates, and I'd be kind of curious to see. We've got a number of trials where we do look at residual nitrates, just to see where they're at this fall because I've, we've seen such low levels in many of our studies. Uh, normally, if you look at um, when I started in Minnesota um, back around 2008, um, taking samples, either post wheat or post-corn, um, looking at a lot of times seeing 30, 40 pounds of residual nitrate there in the profile. And then you get kind of recently seeing that uh, maybe about half of that. So it, it kind of explains to me a little bit of why We've seen such a high nitrogen demand, particularly if that portion of inorganic N is important in combination with the fertilizer we apply for corn production. So, that's uh, one of the the, kind of the emphasis on on one of the projects we're working on right now is just to see that and seeing if we can indeed use um, a residual two foot nitrate uh, in south central southeastern Minnesota for looking at directing variable rate and applications but it'd be interesting um you know if you have the ability to do it just um if you're looking at situations where you're going to corn on corn or even corn on beans just um going into some of the fields and um if you have the ability to track over time look at your residual nitrate levels just to see where they're at because i would suspect the application rates have increased the last few years so then the or the question in my mind then is if we have a normal year, maybe that uh, need is dialed back a little bit if we're going to be carrying more residual nitrate into the fall. So it's um, it'd just be interesting to look at because I don't really suspect anything with P and K right now. Even those areas that Brad was mentioning that got hailed out, um, you know, you might be able to take a small amount of credit going into the next year. Um, just because you've had something there that's not being harvested. But um Really, uh, if it is soybean ground, I'd be looking at soil testing and just seeing what's there. That's going to give you a more accurate picture. It's really, it's going to be nitrate, I think, that's or nitrogen. I think that, that mainly is going to be the bigger question this fall in, in terms of what may or may be able to do the next year, just based on what we're, we're potentially carrying forward.
0: Any updates on your research or out- outreach work?
3: Yeah, uh, we've got, you know... A lot of activity going on um, here, even in spite of some of our, you know, recent difficulties with you know getting things done, and, and obviously a lot of events being canceled. Um, but one of the ways um, that we are sort of managing that is, is transitioning some of these events online. And so um, our crop and soils field day, um, which happens every year at uh, the Northwest Research and Outreach Center was actually supposed to be um, you know, on July 15th, but that was canceled due to all of the uncertainties uh, with the pandemic. So uh, what we're doing instead is everybody who was going to be presenting is going to be Um, or has or is a to uh, record a video um, just to give a quick overview of some of the research and um, I just shot my video yesterday and uh, that's going to talk a lot more about the drainage plots um, that I've been working on and um, and I have some of our uh, new graduate students that have been helping us out over the summer um, also featured uh, in that video just to kind of give everybody an update on what's going on and those will be available on YouTube so uh, just to Keep an eye out wherever you follow this uh, podcast and updates from our nutrient management team because, um, you know, there'll be a lot of great nutrient management information uh, shared on that. And um, Dan, are you doing a video for that as well?
1: Well, I did some stuff early on um, for the Southern Research and Outreach Center. Um, I haven't done a whole lot in terms of any other videos. We have been working on a few things um, for... To replace what we were to be supposed to be doing at the end of the year uh, for the field school, but I think a lot of that's not really going to be released. We're um, looking at um, re- looking at releasing that next year. So, uh, what I've been trying to do at least is try to keep everybody up to date as much as possible on the research that's been going on. I mean, we still are conducting research on. I wouldn't say necessarily a limited capacity. We're more limited on some of the help and the labor on the side, but we've been still been able to get things done. So. We have a few things out there, and I kind of want to at least be able to keep a few things going so at least we have a, some stuff to discuss here um, for future podcasts and also for news releases. So there will be probably a few things we'll be looking at, maybe just doing some highlights forthcoming um, for some of the studies um, as we progress through the summer here, um, just to kind of let everybody know what's going on. Because there has been some interesting things going on, particularly some of the sulfur trials I've been doing. I'm not going to get too much into that here Um at least some of the long-term stuff we've been looking at, some some interesting things we're seeing this year, um, kind of some of the questions maybe in my mind that when I first started the study, I can kind of start maybe building towards some of the answers for some of that uh, particular work. But, um, but things have been ongoing. Um, it's um, said things look good out there. That's been kind of the unfortunate thing because of uh, the way this year has been. We've had kind of a much greater capacity than we've had in some of the other springs to get things into the field. And uh, just with... Um, being limited in terms of what we can do that's really kind of limited us in terms of getting a lot of new stuff going so that's been kind of the main thing but um, we'll have some things I guess to provide updates as we move forward because there is work still in the
2: field. Yeah I would say uh, you know, from, from my point of view down here you know obviously I'm heavily involved with nitrogen smart which that tends to be uh, more concentrated in the winter time. Um, We did a podcast, Ryan Miller and I did a podcast. We kind of talked about this, and we're still way too far out to know what the winter season is going to look like with that kind of stuff. I will remind everybody that you can take the Nitrogen Smart training online. So if you're feeling uh, a void in field days and educational events, uh, uh, you can find that at z.umn.edu slash Nitrogen Smart and do that training at any time. Uh, But uh, beyond that, I think we still are not really sure uh, some of these late, uh, late season field days that we normally will be doing um, kind of in the Labor Day window. We don't even really know yet uh, whether that stuff is going to be happening yet. So uh, folks are just going to have to stay posted. And we of course are. Uh, very aggressively looking at alternatives to make sure we get uh, get the education, the messages out, uh, uh, if those events aren't going to happen.
4: I think um, for me, I guess one silver lining, if you want to call it that, of, of being more at home recently and just um, not having so much face-to-face is just that it's given me some time to go back and look at some of the data from research trials here in southeast Minnesota. And... Um, I guess one thing that's really struck me from looking at that data again is just some of our information on split application of nitrogen. Um, we're seeing split applications bump up yields, usually not a huge amount, 10, 10 to 15 bushels, sort of, um, really about a quarter of the time in our region and over the last few years. And, uh, you know, that's not necessarily spectacular, but there are a few things that have kind of jumped out to me from some of that data. Um, one is that, you know, we when we talk about split application of nitrogen, we're always a little concerned of the negative impacts, you know, like you might get out or want to get out for a split application, but weather conditions aren't great for it and it pushes it off to a point where you might limit yields um, because you just can't get out in the field or, you know, you put out a split application, but uh, the ground's dry enough that that's really not effectively getting into your crop and so you have some yield limitation from that. And I think the, the real good news is that we just haven't seen that in any research trials in southeast Minnesota recently, from what I've been looking at. Um, I guess the other thing I noticed from looking at that data again was that it's kind of interesting because some farms, and we've had trials where it's the same farmer cooperator uh, working with us for four or five, gosh, now I guess six years um, in some cases, and some of the farms involved with these trials they see an advantage to split application every year, year after year after year, um, where they're getting maybe as good yields uh, with a, a lower rate of nitrogen split applied as they are with higher rates all applied preplant. And uh, so when I when I think about that, you know, what it really makes me think is that it's really not a bad idea for any farmer to really just consider experimenting with split applications because you just never know. You might be in that situation where. It's not uh, just 25% of the time where it's giving you an advantage, but it's actually really 100% of the time.
0: All right, that about does it for the podcast this week. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, AFRAC, for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening.